Okay, welcome to the first pint with Shawnee B of 2020, episode 145. We have a couple of changes happening on a pint with Shawnee B for the new year. I'm joined again today by my partner and all-round funny egg, as I called her the last time, the Don. Yeah, that was kind of a high promise last time. There wasn't much you comedy. Funny. You were funny. Yeah, we, we were, uh, you haven't got a fatwa put on you yet, have you, after last episode? Well, I don't know if I did. The last episode we talked about religion and uh, you can scroll back uh, if you want to listen to it where we had, uh, we, I think we fairly picked on all religions though. Yeah, we gave, oh, there's a few we missed. We were in equal opportunities, a pair of bigots. Um, but we are in a new year and uh, the Don has very kindly and at uh, possibly one of those things that you would say to somebody maybe drunk in a restaurant and she goes, yeah, I'll do that. And she realised that she had to go through all back episodes of the back catalogue to uh, decide on a top 20. So for the next few months, we're going to do a countdown twice a month uh, of the top 20 pints with Shawnee B as chosen by the Don. This is a good time for anyone who has said, oh, I've always been mean to listen to what that arsehole peeps wanting to talk about to his people and... I might give it a listen. So you'll definitely get high quality uh, episodes with probably a darn angle on them. We're, we're going to try and have a bit of fun with it. She's going to maybe give me a few quiz questions. I don't know what the top 20 is. So each week I will be going into the podcast as I am today blind. I don't know what, what the number 20 is or who, who the guest is. As always on a pint with Shawnee B, we, uh, the Don brings a bottle. What bottle have you got for us today? Today I have Saskia natural mineral mineral water and it is from aldi i believe uh, because it's fucking dry january yeah well it's not dry. <clears throat> i'm off the booze as of two days i'll just give you another sound effect of the saskia sparkling water where is this from Probably germany aldi. we're importing this from germany we've got it <laughs> you've got it you've got it this is ridiculous anyway here's the bottle being opened not as good as the moet Excellent. Anyway, Does that sound like a woman's sign? <clears throat> that sounds like me sign. <laughs> yes, I'm off the booze as of two days ago. We have a we, we never go off the uh, I never go off the booze on the first of January. Oh, we no, always that's... ease into the year. So we went to a uh, we went for a weekend away last weekend with our friends uh, Garode and Joan. Hi, if you're listening to Selbridge Manor, which was an experience. <laughs> we try and pick somewhere a bit kind of. Where Donna can get dressed up in her fur, furs, and she had a lovely forties theme happening, a roaring twenties. We've got that sort of joke going on. But we went to this place called Selbridge Manor, which is a really lovely old house, about an hour outside Dublin. But wow, it's uh... yeah. Well, you see, I think I think Selbridge Manor is great because anytime I hear it mentioned, it's just outside Dublin, like literally just outside. And very accessible. So when I hear it mentioned, it's usually because somebody's getting married and they're having a look at a few different places. And Selvage Manor, it's not massive. It's an old house, but it looks kind of tasteful. And when we were there, it was nice. And as the evening wore on, yeah. we realised quite a bit more. So by the time we came down for dinner, dinner was like it had been cooked two days previously and microwaved. And put under a hot lamp. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Food was shocking. And by the time we got to the end of dinner, we were because the restaurant is beside the main door, by the time we got to the end of the dinner, I was kind of looking outside the door and I see these two big lads dressed in black with security. They have bouncers on yeah. the door. So this is a, this is like, it's, it builds itself as a, actually there's a brilliant bit of graffiti in the, in the, 
in the rooms and the rooms were quite nice but in the rooms they have you know those little folders with all the info about the hotel and all of the stuff in there was tatty and out of date and dog-eared and not not fucking you know replenished as if they're trying to save and what i don't know and there was one bit about the hotel which was like selbridge manor built in 1737 is one of the finest four-star hotels in in the dublin region and someone had just really nicely penciled out the four and put a tiny three on top so obviously a guest had done that and then it was left <laughs> in a beautiful piece of graffiti yeah they had bouncers on the door we there was some country and western line dancing bullshit on i think I mean, it was very country wasn't it it's the next parish over once you get outside Dublin. You don't expect it to be like the Midlands, but it did have that everyone looks a bit too much like siblings mm. vibe. And, you know, all, all women over the age of 50 wear the handbag across their chest. <laughs> Between their breasts. Yeah. <laughs> but, which is a particular sort of look that you know where mm. you're at in those kind of places. And I went out for a cigarette and I was chatting to the bouncer. I was like, oh, they have security on. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, you're just on tonight? Or, no, every, oh, okay, every weekend. Like, That's interesting, yeah, yeah. And what, what, oh, we've got a band on. What kind of ba- country restaurant? Right, right. And I said, um, what kind of crowd are you expecting? I said, oh, there'd be locals, like, I mean, mainly a bit older, but we'd have younger as well. And he kind of paused for a minute as I stared at him. He said, and there'd be a fair few travellers. So <laughs> I was like, "That's that was the reason for security, apparently. Which, so the, uh, the Irish, we have a we have a, uh, ethnic... A minor, very small minority of uh, people in this country who are belong to the travelling community who are, I guess, they're a bit like Romani gypsies. They're people who have historically lived on the road, uh, travelling in caravans, they believe in horses, and they have had a very problematic time of a, throughout their history of the state. They're very marginalised. They have the highest suicide rates of uh, any cohort in Ireland and it's very difficult to work out how best to look after them properly which is what they deserve yeah yeah anyone who's not that familiar so one of the things with travelers is they have a very hard time booking hotels for things so they might book a hotel for a wedding or for a funeral and that's all fine and then they get a phone call back a few hours later because they've copped they belong to a certain family and to an extent, you can understand with with massive weddings because frequently there is trouble. So you can mm. understand the fear there. But what also happens is families just going out for a carvery are denied at the door in front of their kids. Yeah. And that's... I mean, I, I don't think they should be discriminated against in, at, at all in general. So when I saw the bouncers were there, I was like, why are the bouncers there? And it was to keep travellers away, which mm. is... Especially when you consider the crowd they did fucking let in. Yeah. I'm pretty fucking sure yeah. the travellers are not their problem. No, there were some choice guests. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a minefield to to explore this. The, it, that that's where the the core of Irish racism. That's the epicentre of it. I'd say. Yeah. Well, yeah. we didn't have other races. We had like you'd have the odd doctors' kids that were Indian, but generally like everyone was white and Irish. But we all we did have and the travellers. The poles arrived, and they're all. Around 98, we got the first influx of immigrants and they would have been Nigerian. The Poles didn't arrive until maybe, Mm -hmm. yeah, 2002 is when we got a lot of Polish people coming. And they never experienced the same level of racism because they're white. Mm. Anyway, Ireland has a, I don't know, I always ask taxi drivers or people who I meet who are of colour whether we're being nice to them and I generally get an okay reply. I think we're reasonably decent. There's just this, I'd say what it is, is there's this constant tiny minority of the Gemma O'Doherty's of this world who are out waving their flags and singing Wolftown songs and slagging off anyone who's not from Ireland. 
And then under that, there's a good 10, 15, 20% of people who would pick up the pitchfork and the, and the flaming thing if, if they felt there was something happening. Would you agree? Well, I think there's a lot of people who are quite racist. So if you I put it this way, and this can apply to lots of other countries, to Britain, to America. Well, if you say, what about immigrants? A lot of people say, we have to look after our own first and they get quite that way. So I think there's a huge part of the population that would say, look after our own first and, you know, in theory, don't like the foreigner. Mm. But then you put them sitting in a taxi with a foreign foreign taxi driver who's chatting away and they go, oh, sure, he's different. He's yeah, one of us. Exactly. Or your man that like every, every town has one of those. Your man who delivers from the Chinese. Oh, he's dead. He's sure he's a double accent now. He's brilliant. So we don't like them when, they, when they're them. And I say we, yeah, I like mean, the, there's a huge... We like them individually, but not on mass. Yeah, and I say we. I'm, I'm, there are a lot of Irish people that are, have no time with this, but there, there would be a huge selection of people who d- have an issue with jo- Johnny Foreigner until you're sat down with them, because then we can't do the us and them and the othering. Then they become a person, and we go, ah, oh, Jesus, no, not like that. But you were like that about gay people. Yeah. 15, 20 years ago, it's like, oh, well, I mean, I don't... Um, no, I don't yeah, like that. Wait until, like no, but wait until your son is gay, and you go, ah, it's different then. Yeah, this country, we're uh, recording this on the day that a general election, a snap general election has been announced, which will actually be taking place before I go back on the booze, if mm. that quick. Um, we might uh, we might do the next podcast about the general election and a little bit about Irish politics just to get the dog into even more trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, we're going to plough on with the top 20 uh, episodes of A Pint with Shawnee B. And before that, we're going to have a bit of a preamble where I think I'm going to be asked some questions by the Don to see if I remember my guest. So give me the questions first and then we'll announce these. Right, I'm getting all There's been no collusion here, so I'm probably going to make a tit of myself. Right. So to clarify, for the top 20, I have not sat down and picked my favourite 20 people. Some I don't fucking like. Mm -hmm. Some I like and I don't really agree with what they've got to say. So I have picked 20 that I think are worthwhile listening to. Mm -hmm. So, um, so number 20, 20, I have... Quiz question. Quiz question number one, Okay. Who said, I think we're fucked in terms of plastic, we'll all start dying early of cancer. And this is in reference to climate change. I think we're fucked. Oh my God, who would have said that? Um, okay, that's the hard question. I, I'm drawing, wasn't Vicky McGuire, was it? No. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm intentionally giving the hard question first because yeah, no. it's no fucking fun yeah, if you no, get the no, first no. one. I'm just I'm intrigued to see if I can. But... Okay, second one. Who did you say? Who did you say had a great ability at just setting things up? Mm. Oh, that rings a bell. Now, next question. Who said of the Cannes Festival, it's a bit icky? <laughs> okay. Is it a woman? Yeah. Laura Jordan Bamba. Yeah, well done. All right, so Laura, um, she has an amazing video online uh, of her talking about just don't be a prick. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. uh, Where she got up in front of some big conference full of advertising and marketing people. And she just, like, when I saw that, I was going, okay, that's, you know, Siberia and all the stuff that I write is, is right in that sweet spot. And people hate it. People like the, the ad industry in particular hates anyone who in any way questions the integrity of or behavior of people in advertising. So, th- so last year I made a concerted effort to try and get some of these women leaders to talk on the podcast about glass ceiling, about um, trans issues, feminism, stuff like that. 
and it was great. And she she was one of them. Uh, we met we met in her home. She uh, she sent me a really nice note the next day saying she she'd been having a really bad day, and she was really glad that we had the chat. She's I think a genuinely good person. Yeah. What did you take? From so her? hers was it was largely around feminism, which you've a few in the past year. This one would be mostly glass ceiling stuff and women in advertising media, and. She set up She Said, which is... She Says, yeah. Oh, sorry, She Says, um, which is a mentoring, mentoring programme yeah. for women. In the discussion, I find it interesting when you talk about... that You'd mentioned how some of your the best bosses you came across were women. But then there was also talk about how certain women, when they're in a position of leadership or when they're in power, feel the need to act like men and do the ball breaker thing. It's something, something that I've been watching in the past year and paying attention to a lot. I, I think that there are two types of women in leadership. There are women who decide to be mentors and make an active decision that I want to mentor other women. And I, I call it, it's, it's the people who hold the ladder. So the, the particular thing that came across in this interview was about holding the ladder. And I think there is a massive lack of that. Like I'm 30, a lot of my female friends have all had those bosses who are harder on them than the lads and are bitches to them. And I think there are two types. I think you've got the mentors that actively decide, she's smart, I want to hold the ladder for her, I, I want to see her get on, and we do need to have these women's breakfasts and things like that. And then you have the other type of woman who frequently will say that she's a feminist because it's fashionable to say it. Mm. Like in, in Irish setting would have like you know, repeal on, on your yeah. Facebook. But in reality, what they actually do is they only respect women 10 years old than them. They refuse to hold the ladder for anyone younger because mm. the reality is they're wearing the glossy, of course I'm a feminist sisterhood, but they absolutely fuck anybody younger than them under the bus. They refuse to mentor them. And it's kind of like, well, I had to work this hard and I want to be special because I like being the only girl in the room. Mm. I don't want somebody else to come along. That's my thing. And I just think it's cunty. And then you see women like Laura. And, and it's not about man hating. It's none of that. But it's about holding the ladder and saying... Okay, well, we have equality on some things, but why, why are there so many women doing STEM subjects and then they're not progressing? So what, where are they going to? How do we actually look at fixing the problem? It's mentorship. And I, I genuinely think, to a large extent, most women in power, they either have to actively decide that they're going to be mentors and decide that that's something they want to do and that they care about it, or they slip into this competitive bitchy thing, which really is just pulling up the ladder behind them because they want to be special and those women will always say how women older than them are great but they will never hold the ladder for anybody younger if i, I mean I, I would say that i see a lot of that in men as well a yeah. lot of it's, it's almost like just the competitive bullshit of office politics you know if you're when i was in america there was a lot of people who were in planning with me and they'd be kind of they'd be always like sniping at other planners who were around their age or younger and they're terrified that someone's going to come from nowhere and be better than them and take over their fucking position on the ladder. And so they don't tend to help. Yeah, but what And then happens? there are lots of people who help, mm, who, who but, go, best thing to do is hire someone better than But you. what happens with men, which is actually one of the reasons why that's often come up, why women don't progress, because men get to a certain age and then they get their little protege. They have to. Mm. And it's somebody that reminds them of them, which is why... to, to Huge extent, I don't think, I think an awful lot of men are not sexist, but I think women aren't necessarily hired or promoted because men look after a protege that reminds them of them. Men, you, like you have to have seen it. Once men are in their 40s, they're heading for 50, they get a young fella in their 20s and they go, oh, that's going to be, my, that's like their work son. 
They get that. Well, you're, I mean, you look at you, which is a vanity thing. Well, it depends on whether it's a vanity thing. I, mean, I, I could, you know, I've got a few people dotted across the world who I've tried to help get up because mm. I've just seen discipline and action and intelligence and ability to write and. You can say, oh, this is me trying to... But that, that's what the business needs. Yeah, but I, see, I, I, I look at them and go, this person, I think, can go a long way in this yeah. business and we need to invest and hire them. But you're a bit odd in that way. That's, <laughs> one, that's one of your things that that's quite that's a little bit feminine in that what you do, because I see you do it and you don't... Yours isn't gender-based, obviously, so you're not kind of looking after younger women and wanting to see them get on, but you're looking after the outcasts, the people that probably remind you of yourself to an extent, but like the people who you want to give a shot to. So that's that is similar, but it's just not gender based. But you have your mentor thing where you want to hold the ladder for other people like you, or maybe people who didn't have the same opportunities as you. You do that, but frequently men will hone in on their little mini me, which yeah. is a different thing. It's a vanity thing. Problem is, women don't tend to get a mini me at work. So women have to either be like you in saying it's not a vanity thing, but saying I want to mentor people, I want to see people do well, I want to see people who might have missed the opportunity without a little bit of coaching. I want to bring up confidence of women who work really fucking hard. Mm. And I know a lot of those women will be tough on the people that they mentor. And, you know, if you're not going to bother your arse, I won't, I won't bother. But if somebody really wants it, they will do everything they can to help build them up, to, 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 let, to get them through all the extra hurdles. Yeah. And I think a lot of women do that and are very good at that. But I think it's a great interview, not just for men to listen to, to be aware of some of the things that are difficult for women in the workplace. But I think it's a great one for women to listen to and to ask yourself, which are you? Do you hold the ladder for women coming up behind you or do you pull it up? Mm. Very good. Laura Jordan Bombach's interview coming up. She is the uh, founder of Mr. President, one of the UK's most progressive agencies. She's a ladder holder and uh, she's a good Aussie girl too. Without further ado, and thank you, Don, for your first Here's Laura Jordan Bombach, or LJB as she goes by. Welcome to a pint with Shoney B coming to you from Hackney. We're in Hackney. We are Hackney in Hackney. in London. I've just been traversing the city today doing podcast catch-ups. I have a great guest today, a digital female icon, according to the... <laughs> I, I don't know whether that means she's made of pixels or what, but the icon, <laughs> the Guardian called her that. She's been the head of the DNAD, which is a, a fabulous creative institution over here she's been coding which is i guess writing pro programs on computers since 1994 which to me seems even before computers were around <laughs> she's a, a very staunch feminist and she set up a really cool organization called she says which is a mentoring organization for, for women she's a creative director and founder of a very good advertising agency called mr president she's a digital designer she, you've a long list. You keep yeah, going on. My name is Laura, Laura Jordan Bam. And I had it Bambach, right? Bambach, yeah. There's some stuff that you'll see in the in the blurb to the podcast of some of this one talk in particular that I was very taken by. Maybe we start there, which yeah. was your "Don't be a dick" Indeed. talk, which I think was a couple of years ago. <laughs> it and was that really resonated with me. I, you, 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 you go on about alpha male culture in the advertising yeah. business, which uh, particularly in New York. I just found extremely debilitating and also a culture of rats in a cage, I called it, you know, getting mm. people, not, not teamwork, not looking after, being a dick, basically. Yeah. She'd be encouraging people to be dicks. Yeah. <laughs> tell me how you got, tell me, you know, this approach you've taken to sexism and gender imbalance. Yeah, and well, look, I um, had quite an incredible experience when I was quite young. So 17, living on the outskirts of Sydney on kind of a, farm as it were on you know five acres 
coming into town with a friend of mine in the car to go to basically an art summer school. So I've looked up in town to this billboard and there's this amazing, like wild computer graphics billboard with the faces of these women on it. Uh, it was actually VNS Matrix, quite a famous cyber feminist group of women mm-hmm. artists based in Australia. Um, and it was their cyber feminist manifesto, which is full of wonderful, wonderful filth, like the clitoris is a direct line to the matrix, et cetera, et cetera, right, et cetera. Right. So it's their manifesto. They brought a billboard. It was there. And I just went, that's what I want to do. Right. You know, I've, I've always been sort of very good at, I guess, the math side of things. I always wanted to go and do art type things. And I just saw this and went, these two things can come together in a way that's really interesting and provocative and powerful and, you know, I guess speaks to me at that time as a, you know, as a young woman with all of that kind of faith in being able to change the world. Mm. My parents had always been very, very supportive of me, but I, I was always, tomboy isn't the right word. You know, mm. I wanted to join Scouts and not Girl Guides. My yeah. dad went to the local council and fought for me to be in Scouts. It didn't work. I was the only girl in an entire male league playing football until mm. I was about 15 and then they forced me to play in the girls' team. Aussie rules or soccer? No, soccer. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I was always doing lots of boy things. All my friends at, at high school were four guys, and the school I went to, actually, in my year had 100 guys and 20 women. So I was always kind of the mm. only woman amongst men. And so I saw a lot of the the wonderfulness, actually, that men have, and then also a lot of that kind of bravado and, you know, them limiting themselves through this idea of machismo, what have you. And, and Australia is a very blokey culture. Is, yeah. yeah, and so I went, when I saw this poster, like, that's it. I can have a voice and I can talk about these things that I'm really passionate about. Both, you know, I want equality for women, but I want guys to stop being dicks as mm. well because it's so self-destructive. And then the internet happened as I was at university, I think in my second year, when Netscape came out uh, and I was already doing computer art and that kind of thing. And mm. Just went, that's it, I can actually create my message and put it somewhere where potentially the rest of the world could see it, which was probably about 20 people at the time. Yeah, that's kind of how I got started You've on the internet. You've been doing it a quarter of a century. Has, <laughs> has there been, sorry for putting it like that, okay. has there been, uh, have we made improvements? You know what, uh, absolutely. So the other thing I was doing in 1994 was met an amazing woman called Rosie Cross. So she founded something called Geek Girl, a cyber-feminist magazine, magazine and, yeah. and website. And she brought me on board and said, look, anything you can learn to do, coding and design and what have you, I'll give you a platform. And so I basically became the designer and coder of the site and of the magazine. She was just such a, again, like this amazing, inspirational, wonderful person. But she just really, really pushed me just to pick up new things and mm. pick up new technologies. You just couldn't find women. You couldn't find women interested in technology, in technology and creativity. If you found a woman, it was a man pretending to be a woman. And the conversation was probably for 10 years after that, maybe even 15 years after, has always been, oh, but we're equal. Like, there is no problem. Feminism was a really dirty word. It was really difficult to get feminist conversations off the ground because yeah. it was like, oh, don't be stupid. You know, mm-hmm. we've got the same rights as, you know, the, the same access to stuff as, as any man. Um, when it was blatantly obvious, that's not true. Mm-hmm. What's happened now? And I think one of the good things that social media has done is allow women to actually speak to each other and go, oh, 
this happened to me. Oh, actually, that happened to me as well. Oh, I'm not being paid yeah. as much. Oh, actually, it's a massive problem. And all of these things are bubbled to the surface. So I think there are now young women who have grown up and almost adults where that's been the conversation and, and that's this new wave of feminism, which is amazing. Yeah. But for people kind of of my generation, it was deeply uncool. Yeah. yeah. So where we are today, like a good example, we're recording this a few months after Gillette had their little mm-hmm. man. Yep. What the, what the best, and I used to work on Gillette for many years as a head of planning yep. and I kind of, I wrote a piece about it. I mean, my view on that was nobody, no real man should have a problem with that ad. But a lot of men did. Uh, yeah. The Piers Morgans of this world. Yeah. And there is this underlying kind of group. I don't want to call them. I call I call them <laughs> incels in my, and Jordan Peterson followers in my, <laughs> oh my God. in my article, which didn't go down too well, which is meant as a kind of an ironic joke. But there is this, <laughs> yeah. there is this P- Jordan Peterson sort of trying to coach men. It, yeah. It, 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 oh, but, but, but Peterson has a very old school approach to male versus female and uh, mm-hmm. and he, he he i mean i don't like him but, no. but he has this you know 12 steps for life and he believes in the man being the man and the woman being the woman and mm-hmm. the, the, the thing he calls the women chaos and the man's strength and all this kind of stuff and there's a huge yeah. huge audience for that you yeah. know where you know is is that going to ever go away or you know what i think there are always going to be enormous amounts of people. For, for people to achieve equality, yeah. some people need to gain and some people need to step aside. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you, you're you losing out, but I guess it can kind of feel that way from a position of privilege, a position where you feel like you're in that position because of what you've done mm. and not because it's privilege. It's very difficult to step back and go, actually, the things that I've got, maybe I haven't earned them. Maybe if I've, even if I've worked really hard and I'm really smart and I've done all these amazing things, maybe the exact thing that I've got I haven't earned and maybe someone else has done exactly the same things as me and isn't there because they're a woman, person of colour, disabled, etc., etc. So I think there is always going to be an enormous amount of discomfort from the people that hold power because that's the way mm. it works. At least now there are conversations around it and actually you're starting to see men calling men out a little bit more so yeah it actually made me cry this morning i was reading sydney morning herald because i follow the australian women's aussie rules right and there's an amazing carton player mm-hmm. she's fantastic and one of the news channels posted a picture of her kicking a ball in this like classic aussie rules pose with like a leg up in the air yeah. really strong wonderful uh got so much vitriol and vile abuse from men, pornographic, sexual, just saying that she was a shit player, finding clips of when she'd missed the ball and reposting them underneath, going like women are crap at football, etc., etc. The news outlet took the picture down. Then they got a whole lot of kind of crap for going, well, all you're doing is silencing the woman and not showing her achievements yeah. rather than tackling the abuse. But actually what's happened over the course of the last day or two is this been huge wave including in parliament of men standing up and going actually we've got to call this shit out yeah, we do, yeah. like we can't just we can't just be quiet and we can't just take down the picture of the the woman and hope mm. it goes away we've got to call out this bad behavior how much of it do you think is bot driven mm. i know some of the people in gillette and who sort of when they dug a little bit deeper into yeah. all the vitriol that it was kind of organized they're they're saying it wasn't as dramatic a kind of backlash as you know what i i, I believe that you know yeah. yeah i absolutely believe that i think 
It wasn't that good an ad anyway. But no, it wasn't a fantastic. It yeah. wasn't the most amazing ad, but it was a statement that they had the right to make as one of the mm. biggest brands yeah, from yeah, A billion in. men every day use, use Gillette. Yeah, products. and women, mm, actually. And women, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and um, and women probably buy most of those products for the men. Um, no. Also true, about 40% of sales are from women in supermarkets, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, th- I thought for that, you know, it's bold and brilliant and whether or not it even increases sales, it's interesting to see how brands are now jumping properly wholeheartedly into going we need to be doing more than just selling we've got mm. a responsibility to fix some of the shit that we might have caused or tell me how you got to to forming she says and when you did that and what drove you to do that because you got into the digital environment yeah. mm-hmm. with the geek girl and all this stuff were you starting to experience even back then when you were just starting off your career the sexism and feeling you want to do something about it? Or? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I've always been very passionate about gender equality, actually. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that has really sort of driven me across everything that I've done always. And when I came here, you know, there are a couple of things. I guess when I was in Australia and I was doing Geek Girl and you would see it and you would feel it and it was very uncool to say anything about it, but... It was so tangible because because it's such a bloke such a blokey culture. As I said, when I came here, everything it's weird. Like in Britain, everything is a little bit more hidden or yeah. passive aggressive or politer or something. Yeah, like. kind of politer, but still kind of mean. So it took, menacing. Exactly. So it took me a little while to get around it. And again, you know, most of my f- friends when I moved here were guys. But yeah, I would see it all the time. But it would just kind of fuel me to go basically. Well, fuck you. I'm just going to be better at you than this. Um, and so it was that kind of fighting spirit, I guess, that drove me. I realised when I was sort of heading up a department at an agency, I had a friend, Ali. Uh, she was creative director at another agency, digital agency. And we knew each other because we were always the only two women on any digital panel. Yeah. So it was like, hello, woman. Hello, other yeah. digital woman. Yeah. Um, and then we found out we lived next or near each other. And so we went for a drink one night. And said, you know, we've got to change it because she was very similar to me. She's Brazilian. She grew up in a very much her culture before she came here. And she kind of learned how to fight, take it on the chin. And But we realized that like so many women here in the UK, it was really, really hard. And that we needed to do something to help girls. I'll say girls because, you know, girls at high school, young women yeah. at university. Then into the industry, we had a look at, you know, the art and design courses and what have you. And 51% of the people taking the courses are women. And we had zero people even putting their CVs forward to our agencies. And they were reput- like were they were they very going? cool agencies. Well, this is the question. So the question was, where the fuck are they going if they're not entering creative departments? Um, there, A lot of them go and went into production. A lot of them went into teaching. A lot of them just went and did something else. But we, we were thinking, well, what is so wrong with our industry that the women just disappear and they don't even give it a go? So we had one meeting and actually from that, what we got from that is that the network of the women that we had in the room, there was about 20 of us, there was something really magical in getting those people together face to face and talking talking about the issues and putting plans together. And so we were okay, we'll do another one and we'll do another one. And then she says it was sort of born organically from that. And then suddenly we're doing a, an event every month and suddenly we're getting 100, 200 people at events and... Uh, we're finding out what those these causes are and what's holding women back. You know, it's 
So you met. So you said. So it's a mentoring thing as well. So someone signs up, absolutely. And so then we you do, appoint someone to work with them. Yeah. So we do a couple of things, and we do different things in different cities. So we're now in about forty-one cities really? around the world. Oh, okay. Got forty thousand members, mm-hmm. and actually our newest one, which will be City Forty-One, hopefully, is going to be Afghanistan. Um, wow! But that's sort of just on the table so it'll be a while before and there's issues in Afghanistan right now with the American pullout and the the deal with the Taliban and that's not going to play well for women at all I don't think out there no it's going to be tough so um, yes we do monthly events some cities don't do monthly Amsterdam does four a year but they're massive Mm. Um, the volunteers that run each city kind of shape it what they what's needed yeah we do mentoring Um, so in London I think we paired 300 mentors and 300 mentees over the course of last year. Um, and then we do, sp- I seminars guess, sort of bigger and, seminars, yeah. bigger events. There is an issue in our industry with those very, very senior creative jobs. There are very few chief creative officers mm. that are women because they're a little bit, you know, they're kind of show pony-ish jobs and you need to have a bit of a name for yourself. Mm. It's really difficult for them to get the name for themselves. Yeah, I interviewed Rosie Arnold about yeah. this exact point and she, was, she also made the observation that you know women get put on women type mm-hmm. products most male juries I, I want to talk to you a little bit later yeah. about Cannes Festival because I, yeah. I, I, I had a similar idea way back um, to do something about shit advertising awards yeah um, but you know and that the juries are all male and mm-hmm. I, I, I remember one nice example of this was I was we were doing a campaign for uh, we're trying to win awards for P&G in Cannes mm-hmm. Let's not, let's not beat about the bush um, in Saatchi and we, we went away and we did briefs and everything but one of the brief, one of the ads we had was for Pampers and it was like a nappy mm-hmm. that was done like a hammock right uh-huh. so, it was a, so it was a nice idea yeah. and uh, all about comfort and Andy Greenaway came to work with, with us and he looked mm-hmm. at it it was against a psych black background you know so it looked like an ad for PlayStation yeah. and he said the problem with that is it needs to have bunny rabbits and all the kind of stuff that you know around it that mm-hmm. make it look perfect for a child and like, yeah because we were making the ad tonally <laughs> yeah. look like what was winning playstation all yeah. that kind of stuff yeah. um and the other the other observation i had which and which you know in, was in sydney i took charge of an, a- an agency which will remain nameless um uh, george patterson bates uh, in, 2000, <laughs> in 2007 and i was ceo there for a uh, joint ceo there for a couple of months and uh, amongst other reasons it was so it was the only real time that i saw massive Mm-hmm. Sexism to the point of like way before me, me too ish stuff. There were yeah. there were women working there who were senior account people who told me that they had, uh, you know, emails from senior management asking them up to their office. I mm-hmm. mean, it was it was like it was mad, yeah. right? Yeah, jumping out at females in the car park, drunk stuff like that, yeah. right? And I was saying to the Andrew Sargent, who I worked with, I said, we, like, there's a, this place is... Just, like, a uh, head of Melbourne comes into me, says, oh, how's your new job going? Don't forget, just hire the woman with the big tits and you'll be fine. Like, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, only, yeah, t- yeah. only 10 years ago. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, but I had not experienced <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, uh, you know, there's a, there's probably a certain amount of it that is boys' club that they keep to themselves. Mm-hmm. But, like, we were, we were sitting in here as the new CEOs going, this is... This is the, and and it, and it was a tinderbox, you know. Yeah. I also was in JWT when the when the um, Aaron uh, scandal broke mm. with the, with with the Argentinian guy, yeah. uh, which was yeah. which was big. Or I, I just left, but I knew her. And there's the you know even in in that instance, this idea that you you don't 
listen or you you know actually must have been trying yeah exactly to, you, know, you don't you, punish the guy you look for yeah. what the, the woman yeah she done must wrong. have been she must have been obviously so they they were my sachi and sachi i found very good you know yeah. like asia a lot yeah. of female ceos and, and they yeah. were probably the best ceos i've worked with because mm-hmm. they're not there's something more empathetic in, in advertising i think where it's not a, a dick measuring competition which yeah. i found it was in new yeah. york as i said earlier yeah well this you, is the it's the kind of interesting thing is um Coming up through the digital ranks and sub design, there are fewer women, but I would say those businesses by and large are much more respectful. Yeah, how's you know, Facebook not, and Google and all those? Are they all better than the ad business or worse? Or uh, they're they're a lot they're a lot better yeah. than than the ad business. Um, so what really shook me, you know, she says was started to solve a problem and to actually you know to find what actions will actually help more women to get into these roles. So give us some examples of what you believe or the so, action, those actions that you talk about. Yeah, so one of the key things that we do is keep, uh, she says, meetings, the, the monthly ones, women only. Now, this is really weird, but when we've invited guys, because I would love to have guys there and it would be, you know, really interesting. We, you know, we talk about trends. We talk about, we never talk about women's issues. That's key. We always talk about, things that are going to make you boss up when you get back into the office. But you get a lot of women who are suddenly intimidated and they don't ask questions. So it's basically safe space to ask questions. And then that's a weird thing to say, but literally we've tried it and it hasn't worked. So we've had to sort of pull back and not allow men in those monthly meetings. If we're talking about... You mean when men were there? Women stopped asking questions. Um, And I know that's something that obviously women need to work on but it's something that culture needs to work on allowing women to speak and have a voice yeah. and have an opinion and not to be afraid if they don't know something yeah. we do as much as we can to arm them with you know how to run a better agency how to write a better brief how to get to a more creative place how to be comfortable with i sort of ideas that mm. scare you how to negotiate how to sell your work and um you know even practical things like you know how to run a meeting and that kind of stuff yeah. properly so that you, you're heard and not spoken over. But a range of ways where women can help and support each other and grow each other, and that's where the, the mentoring comes in. Yeah. So whether it's having a body at work and you can speak for each other and help each other to grow or or having a mentor that can help you with these problems so it doesn't feel like your first fuck-up is going to you know, be your last. We get a lot of successful women to come and talk about how they fucked up, actually. Mm. And, um, it's critical. Yeah, I, I actually find it hard to get women on this podcast. Yeah, like I, I like I have to like, and, and it's not for anything other than they go, oh no, one wants to hear my story. I don't really feel comfortable doing. And men are like, yes, let me talk to you about whatever. But isn't that, but isn't and I, I am, I'm not. I, I don't want it to be a quota driven because the no, way no. I do it is you are going to yeah. recommend hopefully three people from, yeah. and that's how I find my guests. Mm-hmm. And as it happens this week, I think I had four women and three men. But yeah. it's hard. And, and, and they don't want to, the women don't necessarily want to be on Yeah, well, on actually, one of the, you know, one of the things that we found that spurred, she says, into being formed, actually, 12 years ago was I was looking for a junior flash designer for my team. And I had a man and a woman, identical CVs, six months experience, straight out of college, both really good colleges. The man came in and went, I can do it. I've been doing it for six months. And the woman came in and went, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. I've only been doing it for six months. Six months. Oh, I did. The truth. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. However... Don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> However, if you're not attuned to the fact that because of culture, not because of a lack of being adequate from women, 
but you're told from such a young <coughs> age to limit your potential and that you're there in the service of others and mm. you need to know something 100% before you can put your hand up. Those effects are, are huge. And so when they say women have got a confidence problem, they do, but it's not one that they've caused. It's one that has been kind of put upon them. And that's that's part of what we try and she says to to help to shift, yeah. to get women to go, oh, yeah, actually, you know, I can I mean, I is there also, that. though, a sort of a spotty, geek, male, 24 hours behind a computer in this business, mm-hmm. right? In the, in, the, in the coding and gaming and all yeah. that stuff. It's, it's Women have better things to be doing sometimes, right? <laughs> Yeah, sometimes. Um, I mean, you know, but women can do that too. Like, no, of that's course, yeah. Exactly, I mean, is, is there thing, numbers? Is, is there a kind of a... Is, is that part of the no, numbers thing? No, no. They're just... Um, but, you know, it starts, if we're talking about coding and... There's been a lot of talk around kind of STEM, getting more, you know, girls to yeah. get into STEM subjects. Again, it, it's this limiting behaviour where there so many little subtle things tell women that they can't achieve or that they're not going to be very good being an engineer or being a scientist or studying um, maths or doing any yeah. of those kinds of things. And I'm just very lucky that I was super stubborn and just every time I came across that just went oh fuck you I'm just going to do it really really well Well, so there are there is also women who I've spoken to who you know about this issue specifically also in the advertising business who felt maybe they had to become you know they had to play at the big boys especially in in, in Australia where it's the John Singletons and the (laughs) colourful racing identities and Uh these guys who are out punching each other in the face after a few drinks (laughs) And yet tempered with the idea that I felt, I believe women have much more empathy than men mm-hmm. and they're kinder and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> That's where I despaired, I think, when I went over to America with the, with the sort of the, the, the orthodontically perfect bosses with the braces mm-hmm. who were absolute dicks, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. And I, I felt it an awful lot more in, in Australia than I did say in Asia. Yeah. Is there, is it, yeah. I mean, is it, is it when, when does it become time to close down, she says? Uh, when there's equal representation within uh, within yeah. agencies, within creative Where departments. Where are we at now? 60, 40? Or? In creative departments, we're at about, I want to say, it's under 20. It's like maybe about okay. 18% women in creative departments. But Suits you, you move women. to, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. It's, Again, for probably some wrong reasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Producers, more women, because yeah, they're the yeah, ones yeah. that make shit happen. Um, planners seem to, I don't know. That's a good question about planners, actually. Well, my experience would be, certainly I worked on P&G for many years, so there was a lot yeah. of women because of so much of their products, or they tend to work mm. for women. Uh, on. Mm. And again, on Gillette, we had three female planners, mm-hmm. not on the Gillette male side. Yeah. But I did an awful lot of the groups because it was it was it, it, when you I found that men wouldn't open up to a, a woman researcher mm. in group situations as much as they would with a guy, and you can get some of that bloke that. But you know that sounds maybe sexist and not fair. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean I don't think by the same standard I could go in and, and moderate a sanitary towel um, mm. group. Mm. I mean I would I would feel a woman would be far better to do yeah. that than me. Right? And I also think I would be intimidating. Mm-hmm. And women wouldn't talk, wouldn't open up as much as yeah. they would to. to. Yeah. So I'd say planner, planning is probably, in my view, slightly more female. I yeah. think female make better planners than men, mm-hmm. I think, in my experience. But um, 
So tell me about the Cannes Festival. What was that all about? Yeah, so again, that's that's something that I co-founded with Simon Gill, who was my was joint ECD with him at LBI many mm. years ago. And I don't know, Cannes always, I have a love-hate relationship with it. It's good to go. Some interesting things have happened. However, that week itself, it's full of debauchery and flagrant sexism. Yeah. Like way too much booze and uh, that, that it's just it, it's a bit icky. <laughs> I went I went nine or ten years in a row and I'm over it now. Yeah. I think it jumped the shark two years ago. It's so mm. flabby and the amount of awards it's like yeah, there's thousands of awards given now. There should only be twelve awards or ten awards at like the Oscars, you know, and then leave, mm. you know leave 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 the best use of. I, I was waiting for a best. Uh, vi- video entry award award. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Simon and I were talking about it. We went the year that the crash happened, 2008, right. which is, I think, when, yeah, so we must have started this in 2008. And uh, we stayed on a campsite about half an hour's drive out of Cannes because the agency didn't have any money, but we felt so terrible about spending money there when we had such an amazing team of people back <laughs> in the office He'd actually made the work, and if any creative director thinks that they're solely responsible for making a piece of work ever yeah, again, right. it's Don't just not true. Yeah. And so we thought when we came back, like, what can we do to bring some of that camp spirit back to London, but also to celebrate all the people that actually make shit happen, yeah. and also the people who would make shit happen if they were given a chance, but for whatever reason, again, mm-hmm. haven't, haven't been given the opportunities. Um, so we started at Cant Festival, um, and it runs the same week as Cannes. And it's been running now since then. Where does it happen? We've kind of moved it around a little bit. The hospital club supported it for a couple of years. One Is it year. one night or over a week? No, it's over the whole week. Okay. And then last year we did something a bit different in that we got a number of interesting sort of creative groups from around Europe to get involved. And so they would mm-hmm. sort of run an event or sponsor an event or bring together some interesting people from from the industry and do things. And it took off a little bit in Eastern Europe again I think because you can't afford to go to Cannes if you're ridiculous. you know from what Romania. do you give out awards for do you have to enter no we don't so uh, we used to do a student award yeah but we don't do awards at all anymore it's just about the speeches giving, and yeah the talks and, and like networking many people and, go to it Oh, I don't know, thousands. Really? Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's really good. You have this, uh, like, like when I was doing my research on you, mm. you have this great ability to be matter-of-fact about setting things up, which are, mm. like, very <laughs> hard to do, right? Yeah, and yeah, they are. And then I do this, and then I don't yeah, know, no, no, they are. They're very hard to do, but they're not as hard to do with other people as they are Suffer, on your own. As suffering what, what you're trying to <laughs> So you set, yeah, up exactly. your own, you set up your own ad agency. So I want to talk yeah. to you about this. We were talking on the way here. Yeah. What caused you to set up your own place? Yes. And when did you do that? This is, um, Laura is in charge of Mr. President. She is the creative director and founder. Indeed. Chief creative officer. Even. Chief creative officer. Sorry. Yeah. Because, you know, I can give myself yeah. the title that I want. What's, so. the <laughs> What's the difference between chief creative officer and creative director? Well, in an agency the size of us, not a huge amount, but, you know, ridiculously, it does kind of help things like meeting big clients in the States and that kind yeah. of stuff. So that's really what it's for. Um, I'd like to be vice president if you want to hire me as your sure, planning head. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so my two business partners, Claire and Nick, had 
kind of stepped away from their agency Dare and were working with a client under the parent company. And I was helping them find a third partner because they were sort of making a shift into actually becoming a proper creative agency and just realised that it should be me. And I, I, re, the reason that I realised that, <laughs> that it was the right thing to do is they both fundamentally believe in what I believe in, which is creating work that leaves a legacy that has value, creating purposeful work for brands, working with brands whose products are actually really good to be able to celebrate them, looking progressively at how we might... Because, you know, advertising, we are, our superpower is taking really complex things and making them really simple so that yeah. everyone understands them. Yeah. That's an amazing power to have if you're trying to also shift the dial on how... Something good. People are, exactly, yeah. how people of colour are portrayed in advertising or yeah. wh- whatever it is. Climate change, which is the big one, because we don't have 30 summers left. We've got, what, we've got 12 now, don't we? 11 now. That's fucking terrifying, and particularly as someone who has an 11-year-old going, he's not going to make it into his mid-20s unless we all get behind actually sorting ourselves out. The had the best headline, which was apparently a global warming issue from 2006, still a thing. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, you know, it's... I'm glad they're calling it sort of a, a... climate catastrophe now not just mm. climate change because it is a catastrophe but you know what we, do you think we have to do i mean, I mean a, apart from the things that they say i mean like even as an irishman yeah. the, the farming lobby and the you know yeah. we've, we've got to stop eating meat and stuff like that i mean i don't know how you begin to plan to do that but you know, <laughs> I, I had an idea that maybe restaurants can only serve meet on two or three days a week and that have you seen that. Simon Emstel's no. um, film he's got a film it uh, was on iPlayer it's called, it's called Carnage and I think it's wonderful it's basically set in the near future once meat eating has become such it's it's basically like smoking right. so they've got you know sort of meat eaters anonymous and they've got all the old yeah. people and the younger people are going god I can't imagine they ever did this and sort of forgiving yeah. their parents for ever having eaten meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's really funny it and also really brutal. But yeah, look, that is, like it or not, that is actually one thing that we can all do to help with climate change. You know, obviously, plastic bottles, which I now refill, but, you know, up until recently, I went, oh, they're plastic bottles, but they're recyclable. It's fine. I'll put them in the recycling. It'll be fine. I'm thinking I'm doing something good. Just don't buy them. Exactly. You know, try to buy cotton clothes because the little tiny microfibers that come off um, uh, non-natural oh, yes, fabrics, yeah, yeah. yeah are in the bottom of the Mariana Trench. So, I mean, there's a lot. Do you think we will go? I mean, I, I think we're of, fucked in terms of. Pla- I think we're fucked in terms of plastics. I think we'll probably yeah. all start dying earlier of cancer. <sighs> yeah, but I hope. It's bleak. It's really bleak. <laughs> I know, but and it's also but, bleak being a woman. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, come on, you know, we're we're just getting there. We're just, you know, we're just starting to have ourselves heard, and then suddenly it's the end of the world. Um, and you guys fucked it up. Yeah. No, but um, what I try to do in my personal life mm. is try to limit my impact, except for flying, which is something that I'm starting to feel terrible about. But still, well, I mean, I, the, work the flying must. thing. I've, I have a friend of mine on my. my about to be brother-in-law mm. who is very careful about his carbon footprint and his flying puts me to shame there's also this thing though really that big corporations need to mm-hmm. be and that is where we whatever you do in this kitchen yeah. is dwarfed yeah. by the shit they're doing 
Yeah, but whatever, words. whatever, seven billion people do in their kitchens. Agree? No, them. I agree. I agree. But like, so, but yes, yeah, so I, 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 I see, I see your point. Companies and all yeah. these guys. I mean, yeah. and they, and we, we refuse to tax the shit out of them and make it hard for them. You know. I know, but see, this is where I feel like brands and advertising can make a difference mm. because we can not only talk to the big companies. Yeah. And you know, get them to change and get them to see the value of doing things better. Oil companies and how you, how you even start. Yeah. But well, I was looking at I was looking at Macron with the oh, yellow yeah. yellow yeah. vest thing, right? Which is basically a backlash against his policy of hiking up the mm. uh, was it diesel or petrol yeah. prices and letting yeah. the public pay for it. Yeah. And I was saying to one of my friends in Paris, why why couldn't he get the in, the levy on the producers of the petrol and not pass it all the way down to the consumer oh well, uh, you know blah 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 yeah. blah, 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 blah 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 right yeah for yeah. capitalist answer yeah um and i don't know why you couldn't do that yeah. well this probably you know enron will pull out of france okay <laughs> move on yeah <laughs> so you're i want to i'm going to link to your yeah. uh, your speech about don't be a dick but i loved yeah. it because it was what I would have, you know, <laughs> it was you, you have a moral the, uh, compass in there. Don't make shit. It's got trust. Uh, mm-hmm. Stick to your ethics. If you know, don't work with clients. It's going to cost you money to be principled. All that kind of yeah. stuff. Do you feel that you, you know, you're, Mr. President? Is it hard? To it is out? really hard, yeah. and it's really hard at the moment. The economy in Britain is not great, yeah. and we have a major chasm. I don't know what's going to happen, um, but you know it's been it's been tough for everyone. And on top of that, the industry is changing really rapidly. Well, traditional agencies are collapsing like a flan in a cupboard. Yeah, as Eddie Izzard says. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a company that a company I'm sort of working a little bit with in Dublin called mm. Company of Huskies, who were a digital agency, mm. and they've kind of judo rolled their way into getting most of the main mm-hmm. stuff as clients don't use the word digital anymore but they have got in the door that mm-hmm. way and they're more nimble and they're more agile and they're yep. probably more principled and they're less no you know yeah. that's the thing you know what my experience of digital agencies was a lot of freedom a lot less hierarchy yeah. a lot more respect a lot more camaraderie a lot more collaboration as you said that agile the answer doesn't have to be something that's pointless you could actually solve a problem with mm. the answer you know a lot of a lot of and respect for staff. Respect I mean, for staff. Like, respect sake. for the clients, and also empathy. Because if you are making digital products, your key thing as a designer or a creative is to remove all the friction and make it as joyful for the person yeah. using it to use as possible. So you really get to understand and get under the skin of other human beings and put yourself in the feet of other people in a way that I don't think creative traditional creatives have had to do before. So I think you know traditional creativity. And Mr. P, we have a blend. Uh, my ECD, John, is extraordinary. He's he's uh, the fourth partner of the agency, and he's he's come through that traditional agency world. I mm-hmm. guess you know, Chris and Porter, and where have you? He's absolutely brilliant. He knows things that I don't know. Like I'm c- couldn't it be as funny as him, or write a pun, or write a headline that was a sharp because yeah, yeah. that's not what I've done. Yeah, yeah. But what I can do is I can really, really understand people, and I think bringing those two things together is really magical. I wrote about it for, I had this I had this kind of satire article that I write for the Irish trade rag, I don't like you saying that, about, I, I did it about the Scrabble, I play Scrabble on my phone, and every, after every move, Scrabble give me an app that's 30 uh-huh. seconds with a little X after five seconds and I always yeah. close it yeah. after I don't watch it 
And I was doing it around this the Kia, some Kia car, this bell end jumping off a cliff, mm. ticking off his bucket list. I hope he didn't make it. And by the end of the week, yeah. I have seen the same ad. Oh, sorry, the same five seconds opening of the ad. <laughs> probably a thousand times. Yeah. To the point where I wanted, well, to the point where, first of all, I will never buy a Kia car yeah. as a result. Yeah. Doing the exact opposite yeah. of what they want me to do, right? And what I want to, what, what, what I was basically getting at is the algorithm is becoming king. It doesn't really matter what you do in Mr. P creatively, mm. as long as, well, I mean, of course it does. I'm mm. just saying this is the argument. As yeah. long as it's delivered in vast blobs of crap <laughs> like I get, right? <laughs> Five second blobs. And I, this goes way back to, like, when I was in Asia, uh, I was working on Toyota, mm. and they did a sponsor, back before smartphones, yeah. of the soccer. And that's a huge footprint, India, Thailand, Indonesia, mm-hmm. Singapore. And we had one shitty ad that Sachi made, and it was a four out of ten bad ad, right? <laughs> and they, as part of the sponsorship yeah. deal, they got every ad break. Mm-hmm. They, could, they had a 60-second ad yeah. in it. And they put the same ad in. And you know the way yeah. Super Saturday works yeah. for real soccer fans. They're going, we watch the first game, we watch the second yeah, game. Uh-huh. And I said, we need to be clever here. We need to say, why don't we get all the great award-winning Toyota ads that we've done in yeah. Saatchi? And just, it doesn't matter if, oh, the product's not available. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter if the product's not available. <laughs> People that enjoy it more exactly. go, Toyota, they're great. And I was, the, 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 the head of the Toyota account was thinking, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. And he didn't do it. Yeah. See, I think um, Mark Reed actually, didn't he? He stood up and gave... Um, no, it was Keith Reed, wasn't it? Stood up and was talking to Mark about um, creativity. I think in the last couple of weeks saying right. WPP lost its way a bit mm. creatively. Yeah. We need more We need more creative, you know. Are you for various... sale, by the way? No. No. <laughs> no. Definitely not to WPP. Um what did he say? Sorry, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but it was well, giving him... question through you there a bit. But it was, uh, it was giving him a bit of a... <laughs> it was giving him a bit of a bollocking about just the fact that creativity has gone out the window. And you're right. The, the, there is a rise of the algorithm, the, yeah. the placement yeah. and personalization, which isn't really personalization, yeah. um, is, is king. And it does deliver some results. If you put amazing stuff and then you use the technology and you build on it, mm. you can do it incredible things but it's so rare to see an ad that is being delivered programmatically that's had any thought put into it which is mm. why they're so crap and why people turn them off my partner has a little girl called Ayla who's eight mm. and she's a feminist Excellent. and she's also not doing her communion this year because she's an atheist and that's very hard to be in Ireland yeah before we go what would you say to her oh, what I advice would, would you give her just give her a big hug and say Stick with what's in your heart. You can't go wrong if you feel like you're doing the right thing on the inside. Thank you very much for being on. <laughs> it's such a pleasure. Yeah.